My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, of any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. It is absolutely no secret that I love cemeteries and graveyards. It's all over my website, all over Odd Things I've Seen, and all over my books, both the nonfiction books and the novels. It's hard to get away from the really glaring idea that I am obsessed with places we put the dead. And I have been to hundreds of them, hundreds of cemeteries. And I have favorites. I love Sleepy Hollow Cemetery out in New York. I love Mount Auburn Cemetery in Massachusetts. I love Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles. I think that if I were tasked to put down my top 10 cemeteries in the country, I would be hard pressed to do so. It'd be hard for me to fit them all in. I just absolutely love them. But (laughs) I have this suspicion that probably the cemeteries in Europe are way better than the cemeteries in the United States. Now, I have less experience traveling the cemeteries of Europe as I have uh, the entire country uh, of the U.S., but the ones I've seen, the best cemeteries in the States can't hold a candle to. I'm talking, you know, Montjuic Cemetery in Barcelona is amazing, Père Lachaise in France. They, they're just some of the best cemeteries out there for various reasons, right? They're older. They are more atmospheric. The feeling is just, I don't know, it must just be the age, right? The age and the history represented in those cemeteries. So everything that I love a cemetery for is just times 10 in European cemeteries. And in fact, I believe, I really do believe, although I might be rewriting my history here, I believe that my obsession with cemeteries can be traced back to a single cemetery in London and Karl Marx. I can trace my obsession with cemeteries back to Karl Marx as well. So I'm going to have to start this story way back in the past of how I got my, you know, six foot deep love of cemeteries. The year was 1999, late spring. It was my penultimate year. No, it was my penultimate semester at college. I would be graduating later that year. I was traveling around the United Kingdom by train along with a sizable group of fellow English majors from my college. One morning, We were in London for a few days, and I convinced two of my uh, friends on this trip to trek with me to North London on a quest to find the grave of Karl Marx in Highgate Cemetery. And I don't use the word quest lightly. Well, I do use the word quest lightly these days. But in describing this previous adventure, I don't use the, the word quest lightly. See, this was a time before mobile phones, before GPS, uh, back when the internet itself was a mewling thing. Realistically, with my ability to even find my way around, you know, the state I was born, finding, you know, even North London was only a 20% chance, much less finding Highgate Cemetery. And zero chance was I going to ask a stranger because even back then I just couldn't bring myself to do that. Now, I wasn't going to Highgate Cemetery because I like cemeteries at the time. This was before Otis. This was a good eight or nine years before Otis started. 
And even though I was going to it to see Karl Marx's grave, I wasn't really into graves of famous people at the time. I wasn't really even into Karl Marx. I had read him recently because it was college and I was an English major and I was reading a lot of books that, you know, I wouldn't ever read again for the rest of my life. But it just seemed like this perfect alignment of author grave. And by the way, it's a very weird author grave and I'll get to it here in a minute. But weird author grave, English trip. And also it gave me the chance to separate myself from some of the other people in the group for a little while, which was a welcome change. I remember us taking the tube out to a region that our passes didn't cover. So we had to pay extra money or get off early. I can't remember which one we did, but I do remember doing a lot of walking, getting lost, walking uphill a lot of it until our legs burned. It was such a trying trek that my two compatriots eventually just sat down. They sat down on a bench and gave up. They didn't care about cemeteries or car marks. And even though I didn't either, I think some of my latent obsessions that would come out later were happening now because I had to get to this place. Even even though I was tired and I didn't know where I was and I didn't know how far away I was, I still needed to get there. And I found it. I found it. I was by myself at this time. Again, I had left two people behind, but I found it, found the strange grave of Karl Marx took a picture with my disposable camera. Remember those? They were like cardboard and you just dropped the whole entire <laughs> camera off at Walmart or whatever. And they would just give you film in return or give you pictures in return. And then I left. I probably spent no more than 10 minutes there. I walked in, the grave was really prominent, took the picture and jetted out of there. But I really believe I took with me much more than a photo. And I wouldn't realize it to a long time later. I think I took out of that cemetery a seed nurtured in that ancient cemetery dirt that would years later sprout into my graveyard obsession. The atmosphere of the cemetery, the overgrown, crumbling beauty of it, the age of it, that sense of quiet and perspective. I found myself thinking a lot about that 10-minute moment in Highgate Cemetery over the years. And then, like I said, hundreds of cemetery visits later... I got the opportunity to revisit Highgate Cemetery. This was back in 2017, where, you know, everything in my life had changed since college. Literally everything had changed. And I was with Lindsay, my wife. So let me give you some history real fast before I dive into what I find so compelling about this cemetery that I would put it at the very top of my cemetery list. Highgate Cemetery was established in 1839 as part of a plan to create seven cemeteries on the outskirts of London. They were called or are called the Magnificent Seven. The city of London had a dead body problem. They just had too many and they didn't have enough space to plant them within the city borders. They only had like small old churchyards that were already bursting at their borders uh, with the rotting dead. And it was a good call too, because today Highgate alone, just Highgate in in the city of London has 170,000 people buried in it. It's located on Swains Lane in North London and Visiting it is a little bit more complicated than visiting most cemeteries. In fact, I don't even remember it being this complicated back in 1999 when I visited. I just remember kind of like sidling in there, seeing Carl, and leaving. What I found out uh, is that there's a fee. You got to pay to get into this cemetery. So it's one of the few cemeteries I've ever come across that required a fee. And then second, even more confusing, it's divided into two cemeteries. There's the East Cemetery and the West Cemetery. And both cemeteries together form Highgate Cemetery. So the East Cemetery is a pretty typical experience. You just kind of wander in, you walk in, you walk around. You can't take a car in there. You just kind of walk around. The West Cemetery, though, you can only take with a tour group. 
I don't like taking tour groups usually. Um, if I have to, to see something I want to see, I will definitely do it. And I've been through some good tours and some bads, but generally I just want to be by myself. And if I have questions, I'll ask the internet later. But to see the West Cemetery, I had to, me and Lindsay had to take a tour. So we took a tour of West Cemetery. We decided to do that first just to get it out of the way and it was scheduled and stuff. And that way we can just kind of relax and wander East Cemetery at our leisure. So we started the tour. There's, I don't know, maybe a dozen of us, but 30 seconds into it, I wanted to bolt off into that cemetery. There were ivy-covered stones and shaggy pathways. It was magnificent. And it was mostly architectural. It wasn't, you know, a lot of square tombstones. I mean, there were some tombstones, but there was a lot of actual building work. It was kind of a true necropolis. And all of that stonework, all of those buildings and passageways were just covered in creepy vegetation that made it shaggy and unkempt and looked like we were exploring the cemetery for the first time with a tour guide and 12 other people. But it definitely felt like a lost city, even with those artificial constraints around us. That's how amazing the cemetery looks. I mean, it looked like the backdrop for a 1970s horror flick. And that's probably because it was regularly used <laughs> as a backdrop for 1970s horror flicks. It's featured in films like Taste the Blood of Dracula, Tales from the Crypt, The Abominable Dr. Fibes, one of my most favorite movies of all time with Vincent Price, and From Beyond the Grave. I really, oh, I almost really expected to run into Peter Cushing just around any turn in that graveyard. So Highgate attained its signature overgrown and abandoned ambiance after a period of disuse back in those 1970s. Nature and vandals and squatters and horror film productions they ran rampant over the place, just really kind of you know, took the place apart. Nobody was there to kind of stop the invasion of vegetation and trees and ivy and everything else that happens to a cemetery when you don't take care of it. Eventually, though, they did realize we needed to take care of this place. But by then, the place had reached such a unique ambiance and atmosphere. I don't know the difference between those two words. Uh, but it had achieved such a feel to it that they didn't want to destroy that. It had just naturally become a much more interesting place by them not really doing anything with it. So they do take care of it now, but they also try to preserve that feeling uh, that you are the only one in that place and being chased by Christopher Lee. It was just too fantastic an effect for them to sanitize. The best thing about the West Cemetery is its architecture, because it has actual architecture. We walked through the exotically beautiful gates of Egyptian Avenue, took a tunnel-like path lined with family catacombs. Uh, Neil Gaiman actually used this very path as a setting in his The Graveyard book. Uh, Egyptian Avenue then exited into the Circle of Lebanon, which was a rotary of large crypts topped by a massive cedar tree that predates the actual cemetery. From there, we entered the Terrace Catacombs, which was a dark hallway of a crypt where missing catacomb shelf plates bared their caskets to the air and our intrusive eyes. So it was almost like touring a set of buildings more than touring an outdoor cemetery. These days, one of the things I like about cemeteries is graves of famous people. But the tour didn't pass any in West Cemetery. Karl Marx is in the East uh, Cemetery, so we'll get to that one in a second. But there were some interesting interments. Uh, like the first person ever buried in Highgate is buried in the West Cemetery. She rests under a block of stone almost completely lost in the undergrowth. There was a lion statue that marked the grave of what the tour guide called a menagerist, which is, I guess, a proto-zookeeper. There's also a stone dog that lies forever at the grave of his master. And although the tour guide didn't tell me this, the internet did later, Charles Dickinson's own family is buried somewhere there in the West Cemetery. The author himself has much higher class digs in Westminster Abbey. Uh, at one point, somebody on the tour, and this turned out to be a really cool um, reason to take a tour is other people's questions and perspectives. 
Somebody asked about this simple polished gravestone that was obviously one of the newer ones, like much newer, like almost, not almost, but definitely contemporary to us. The gravestone even had a photo of the interred sitting in a frame at its base. The tour guide said the grave was for a man named Alexander Litvinenko. Then the tour guide went on to explain that he was a Russian spy who defected and then was assassinated with some kind of radioactive element as part of a Russian plot. Once I heard that story, I remembered the rest of it because it had just recently happened in the preceding years. That radioactive element was polonium-210. It had been placed in his tea. That's how he had been assassinated. I remembered the image of the man on the news back in 2006. He was completely bald in a hospital bed and obviously doomed from this assassination. Speaking of plots, the tour guide also told us that plots were still available at Highgate. They just were really, really expensive if you wanted to be buried there. I would later learn that three days after our visit to Highgate Cemetery there in 2017, singer George Michael was buried there. So that tour took about an hour. And then as soon as it was over, we crossed the street like racehorses out of their gates right into the freedom of East Cemetery. So you basically leave a cemetery, cross a road, an actual automobile road, and enter another cemetery. And these are two different experiences. Where West Cemetery is much more architectural, East Cemetery is much more headstone-driven. (laughs) I don't know if that is a cemetery term, but a lot more kind of typical as far as headstones go in rows and plots, but nothing about this cemetery is typical. So East Cemetery was relatively newer. It opened 1856. So that was what, 17 years after the original one, if I'm doing my math right. And like I said, it was a much more freer experience. You could just stroll the paths, take shortcuts between the stones, and in general, choose your own adventure among the deceased. Like the West Cemetery, the East Cemetery feels like a slow-motion war between vegetation and tombstones, with the tombstones losing and losing bad. You almost needed a machete to get around. It felt that dense and jungle-like. I even saw, and I'm not lying about this, I have photos, and they're on, and I'll link to them in the show notes. I saw vines that were in mid-process picking up tombstones, uprooting them from the ground and lifting them into the air. So what the East Cemetery has a lot of, and really kind of differentiates itself from the West Cemetery, is that it has a lot of graves of the famous. This is where Karl Marx's grave stands, and stands is the wrong verb for this. It actually towers. The thing is probably about 18 feet tall. It's a massive column, uh, about, I don't know, six feet wide, and these are approximate measurements. I'm looking at a picture of myself standing beside it and trying to estimate what it is, so I'm sure I'm all off, but it dwarfs me. And it's just a column of blocks, you know, with whatever epitaph and his name on it, and atop the column is a massive bust, like whatever, 20 times the size of an actual head. It has his bushy hair and his bushy beard. He looks a lot like Santa Claus. This (laughs) This looks like Santa Claus's grave, but it reminds me of that last scene in the Muppet movie where, you know, animal, or he eats those pills, and then just his head bursts through the top of that old old house or whatever it is. They're like in an abandoned old west town. And it's just this giant, hairy creature just busting through the top of this house. That's what the grave of Karl Marx reminds me of. And this is one of those kind of reflective moments for me, right? So I, it had been 18 years since I had seen this before. And of course, Karl Marx hadn't changed, hadn't much to say. But I was completely changed, and this was still just a massive monument that should have been, you know, in the middle of a town square or a city square or on the steps of something big and important, and not just a graveyard covered in ivy and roots. 
So also in that 17 years since I'd last been there, I'm tempted to say that Highgate couldn't have improved as a cemetery. It, could, it got older, it got you know more overgrown, but it couldn't have improved as a cemetery, right? Well, I'm going to say that it improved 42% since my last visit. See, in 2001, about two years after my visit, my first visit, it became the final resting place of author Douglas Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know if I've ever gone deep about my adoration for Douglas Adams uh, in any of my writings, but I firmly believe that there's never been his equal. His Hitchhiker books paralyze me. They just do, both as an author and as a reader. They're so absurd and so profound, and the ideas in just one of his Hitchhiker books could fuel an entire career for another author. They're just so dense but airy and communicate truths about the universe that even the you know best philosophy books don't. I don't use the word genius lightly and almost never for an author, but Douglas Adams felt like he knew something about the world that most of us couldn't comprehend, and it amused him. And he did all of this you know, with robots and spaceships and aliens. <laughs> so, I mean, the guy was amazing and his works are amazing. And to be able to see his grave on this trip was a highlight of oddity chasing for me. His grave's pretty simple. It's just a plain rectangle, a slate bearing his name, the years of his life, and the designation writer. Not world's greatest writer, like I think it should be, just writer. Very plain, very simple. Understated is an understatement uh, when it comes to this gravestone. There was a small receptacle at the base of the stone that I don't think was part of the original plot. I think somebody might have put it there, but it was full of pens and pencils left by fellow admirers as if they were begging Douglas Adams not to let something so trivial as death stop him from writing. Balanced atop the edge of the stone were the usual coins and rocks that people leave as a token and evidence of their visit. But also perched atop it was a small dolphin figurine as a beautiful tribute to or reference to So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, another one of his brilliant hitchhiker books. And although no towels were slung over his tombstone, I assume that happens as well. It has to happen, right? There's no way it doesn't happen. While I was there kneeling at Douglas Adams' tombstone, I did something that I don't usually do. It's not my usual practice. But when nobody was looking, I surreptitiously clipped an ivy leaf from the plot to insert into my copy of Hitchhikers back home across the ocean at that time, but now upstairs in my library. I don't know, maybe that's the best way to kind of communicate to you guys how much Douglas Adams means to me as a writer, but also how much I'm just in awe of his work. Beside Adams' grave, uh, where, you know, I'd want to be buried, was a triangular chunk of rough rock engraved with large letters. Style-wise, it looked like something ancient, something that should have been on display in the British Museum. The letters gave the name of the interred as Eddie Steele Rosen, and according to the stone, he lived a scant 18 years. Obviously, I was intrigued by this. I wasn't on a tour, so I couldn't ask, so when I got back to the internet, I looked up who this person was who got this kind of place of honor beside Douglas Adams. Turns out there's a pretty big story behind him, simply told, but a pretty big story, emotionally. Eddie Steele Rosen was the son of a children's author named Michael Rosen, or Rosen, I could be pronouncing this wrong, as I say every single podcast. That boy, or that young man, that 18-year-old, died overnight of meningitis, with no other warning other than some soft flu-like symptoms. One night, the son and father were talking and joking around, and the next morning, the father found him dead. The father would go on to write a book about the incident called Michael Rosen's Sad Book, and I highly recommend you read this book. It is just so raw. It is well worth checking out. It'll probably bum out your day, but sometimes we need to do that. Anyway, Marks and Adams were the two graves I wanted to see. 
Mostly I just wanted to wander around that special place and take it in. Plot by plot, section by section, overgrown stone by overgrown stone. Other famous people interred in this half of Highgate in the East Cemetery are George Eliot, Michael Faraday, others uh, like that. However, as I was wandering the paths and perusing the cemetery map that I had gotten as a result of my admission fee, I discovered another grave that had I known about it, and it was the only famous grave in the cemetery, I still would have made a special trip. And that is the grave of Carl Mayer. His name isn't famous, but he co-wrote the script for the 1920 film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, one of the most important horror films ever made. And another kind of work that's really been a touchstone uh, in my uh, movie watching life. And I want to say it was this final discovery about Highgate Cemetery that really pushed it the extra millimeter it needed to be my favorite so far on the entire planet. That's hyperbole. I think it was already there. It's kind of influence on me and just its aesthetic, its history, the famous people in it. It's my favorite graveyard until I find one that beats it, which is highly possible in Europe. Really, the only downsides to this cemetery are the fact that the West Cemetery is constrained to tour groups and that the East Cemetery is heavily trafficked. It's a well-known tourist spot. There was a lot of people there when we were there. So it is a tourist attraction. So that's kind of the downside of it. You don't, you don't get as much quietness as you would in, say, Mount Auburn here in the States or even Sleepy Hollow. But small quibbles. Everything about this cemetery or these two cemeteries in one is amazing. And it makes me feel like I've really missed out by not visiting the other six cemeteries in the Magnificent Seven of London. Something I really need to do at some point, right? I can't let my life go by without doing that. But as Lindsay and I strolled along the paths, marveling at the densely thicketed plots, not wanting to leave and fully in the moment, one of those few times that I felt fully in the moment, I think I had a revelation, a personal one. So <laughs> nothing that cool for you, but for me personally. See, I've been to hundreds of cemeteries since my first visit to Highgate. It inspired that whole part of my life. But I think every single cemetery I've gone to is just me chasing this cemetery. That's how special a place I hold it. And that's it. That's my episode. I'm sure I missed tons about this cemetery. It's just one of those cemeteries. It's been around so long, has so much history, so many interments, so much happened there that there's probably a million stories that I haven't even come across yet. So well worth digging into on your own if you're so inclined. That was, that was a grave digger joke, I think. All right, that's what I have for you today. Me at a cemetery, which I've been doing a lot of in these <laughs> times of stay in place and COVID-19 and masks and everything like that. I've been going to a lot of cemeteries. Nothing as cool as Highgate, unfortunately, but, you know, trying to get out. So usual requests. If you like the podcast, you want to hear more of it, hit me up with some stars on iTunes. Join the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash jwoker. Visit me on oddthingsiveseen.com. Check out my books. And that's about it. I did... I announced recently that my next talk is going to be at the end of May. It's going to be a virtual talk, so I'll be doing it from one of those video chat platforms. So it's one that anybody can come to. I kind of get dinged a lot because I only do talks in New England. And this is a chance that anybody from anywhere can actually hear one of my talks. And if it goes well, then I, I might never do a talk outside my house again. And, you know, There's a registration link on Otis. Go check that out. It's on the Facebook page right now. I'll, I'll eventually get it on Otis. You have about a month to think about that anyway. Uh, but that's it. I hope you're getting out there. Again, visit cemeteries. If they're not closed, I know a bunch of them are closed, but a lot of them are open. So go check them out, walk them, enjoy what they are, enjoy what they mean. Uh, I don't, uh, this, this one, I, I don't want to end sappy, <laughs> even though I'm talking about a cemetery. Uh, that's it. That's the episode. I'm just ending it.
I'm J.W. Oker, and this has been an episode of Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. <laughs>